Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Today, Courtney and I are going to talk about some of the films that are playing as part of the Toronto Real Asian International Film Festival, now in its 26th year. This is, I think, the largest Asian film festival in North America. So it's a big deal and we love it. And it's, uh, it happens every year in November. This year, it's, uh, the dates are from November the 9th to the 20th. All info can, you can go to realasian.com. So this year, the festival is in person and online. And that, that's the basics that you need to know. Maybe I said the, the website too fast. It's realasian.com. And real is R-E-E-L, like a film reel, not like reality reel. Okay, so we're going to start off with a film called Rice Boy Sleeps by Anthony Shim, Canadian filmmaker. It won the Platform Prize at this year's Toronto International Film Festival. It's gotten a lot of attention since then. A lot of critical attention, uh, prize winning, uh, like, like I just said, but also people just love this film. And I think it's one of the best of the year, just period, not just one of the best Canadian films. Uh, and this is Anthony Shim's second only feature. So it's, it's quite impressive. And the film is set in the 90s. It's sort of based on his own experiences. Uh, the, the film centers around uh, a young woman a single mother who is a, an immigrant from South Korea and she's got a young son and they settle in um, to the West coast in Canada, like BC uh, looking for, a, she's looking for a fresh start and the film captures their experiences as immigrants, the difficulties that they faced, especially because it was the nineties. So um, in terms of people's lack of understanding uh, and racism like straight flat out racism that uh, that anyone who wasn't white experienced um, so the film i found just i love the innovative filmmaking the camera work the cinematography the way that shim uh frames you know frames things frames the characters the way he places them in the frame but there's this like fluid camera work that does a lot to give to enhance our sense of just how difficult their experiences are and how they really rely on each other and how they they sort of cling together you know as a family i just found it to be really inspiring yeah i was a i quite enjoyed this film as well i think the the connection between the mother and son is quite fascinating especially because you're you're watching this play out as the son is going through the teenage years and there's a lot of angst with that comes with being a teenager but also being a teenager that desperately wants to fit into a society that keeps reminding him that he is the other um, and I think a lot of that plays out in this film in really interesting ways but there's also there's an interesting poetic beauty to this film like as much raw emotion as there is in this film, there's also just an overall sense of beauty in both the relationship, but also just how the film is shot. So yeah. by the time you get to this 
I would, I'll just say a point of understanding between mother and son. And that understanding comes as there's a lot of acknowledgments of the past and, you know, where the mother and father came from, the family history. It really adds to the touching layer in, in this film. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a sensational film. And I can see why it was getting a lot of the, the praise it did. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, the poetic quality of the filmmaking really elevates it, makes it... Um, just such such a like I said inspiring experience it's uh it's you know it, it fills you with emotions that you can't even put into words absolutely yeah it it uh, it really touched me in a very deep way yeah so that's that's rice boys sleeps and we both highly recommend you see that one um I'm going to talk about another film that's a mother son relationship but uh, not in the the ways that we we quite expect it rice boy sleeps is more of a searing drama um mama boy uh, from taiwan is a film that plays more like a romantic comedy of sorts i got a lot of harold and maude vibes from this um <laughs> the graduate vibes uh, just to kind of give you a little sense of the tone of this romance and it, it centers around a young man um by the name of Hong, who is shy, doesn't quite know how to interact with people in general. And part of that is because he has a really overbearing mother, the type of mother that not only sets him up on dates, but calls midway through the date to find out how the food is, what the date thinks the food is. So again, he's been very sheltered because of, of his mother's love. And through a series of, of events, he meets Lei Li, who is a madam at this um, brothel this hotel brothel and there's an instant attraction on Hong's part to Lei Li and a lot of the film is him kind of discovering himself as an individual through his growing love for this older woman um, there's also some subplots going on involving Lei Li's son who's probably about Hong's age maybe a bit older who's pretty much a schemer and he's got himself into some trouble with some loan sharks um and then there's also an, a third strand that doesn't fully get developed involving hong's mother and a potential relationship with a retired police officer the subplots don't quite work for me in in this film but i was really captivated by the the central friendship romance between um, Hong and Lei Li. Uh, Vivian Su, I believe is her name, that plays Lei Li, I thought was just phenomenal in, in this film because she brings so many different layers. And even though the story doesn't always quite work, I found her character rather interesting and how you know a woman at a particular point in her life is dealing with this son who's a bit of a screw up is also longing for love, but not sure if she's worthy of love at her age and how her life has gone through. Um, so I, I, I was entertained by this film. I don't think it fully works, but I, I did enjoy Mama Boy. Interesting, because I was completely captivated by this film. It sucked me right in. I thought it was such a charmer. And maybe it's because I've watched so many serious things lately that that sort of heightened atmosphere of this film. Everything's just pushed a little bit, you know, so that you know, your Harold and Maude reference is, is perfect. Your graduate reference is perfect. You know, there's like, there's just this like little touch of, especially in certain moments, humor, you know, 
that it's sort of leaning towards and the filmmaker Arvind Chen, he has this, this color palette, right? Everything's very neon and bright and vivid. The colors are vivid. Uh, and so that gives it this sort of fantastical look. It's, it, for me, it works because I got sucked into this world where I, I realized that it was being set up as a fantasy. Uh, so that in, in the way that Chen sort of puts his film together, he sort of makes it possible that anything, anything goes, anything is possible in this world. And so this attraction between Hong and Lele and the, it, yeah, it was like a little bit like uh, hard to believe. And then it worked so much, so well, right? And, you know, as you were saying, Vivian Sue, she is a, a singer actor, right? From one generation in Taiwanese music. Hong is played by Kai Ko, who is also a singer actor. But they're both heart, they were both heartthrobs or are heartthrobs, right? Yeah, in Taiwanese society for real. So to have them playing off each other is, is really interesting. And it's a lot of fun that way. And, and yeah, there are some more serious moments. And I did think that like I could tolerate the, not tolerate, I, I, didn't, I was fine with the subplots because they, they were worked in in an interesting way. They commented on what was going on in the main relationship and the main romance. Um, and revealed a lot, like it revealed a lot about uh, Lele's character, that her son was like that and how she interacted with Lele. Uh, but what's, what's fantastic is the way that Chen sets up the mother character and sets up that whole scenario at the beginning where you see why Hong is so shy and he can't even look people in the eye. And the way he sets it up, the interaction between him and his mother, where the kid can't even eat without her like picking and going, no, you have to eat this. And no, you do have to do that. And it's like every, every, she's micromanaging like every moment in his life. And then the way that he opens up because Lele, she interacts with him in a completely different way. And I loved it. Like, I just, and it got me in the end. They got it, me. They say, I don't know, an old romantic is living inside of me. And <laughs> No, I, I, I agree, especially with the, the romantic elements. Like, I think for me, the film works the best when it's just Hong and Lele together, whether they're on the dance floor or sitting in a, in a booth at a club, like the, the way how the lighting is, like they're, through this entire thing, you just want to root for them. You, you know, you forget like all the societal, um, stuff that says they shouldn't be together and her job and everything. It just go, these two people, I want to see them together because I'm so wrapped up in that world. It's just when it falls into some of the, the subplots, like I, I still question how much the mother really learns because there's, there's a line towards the end where she says, like, you know, we both learned stuff. And I said, well, did you really learn? I don't know. Uh, but again, that's, that's the beauty. Another that's, day. The that's another, beauty. that's a discussion yeah. for another day but that's uh, the beauty of the film that but, line it's like we, what does that mean lady what does that mean <laughs> yes we we will we will debate that later on but uh we both uh recommend mama boy uh i think it's worth seeing 
how about we switch it up because although there's a lot of great features and short films that are are playing we also did um, dive heavy into some of the docs so do you want to talk about all that breeze i know that you were a big fan of that one all that breeze by shanak sen from india and this film i saw it at sundance and i got a chance to watch it again i i think it's also like when i said about rice boy sleeps it's one of the best films of the of the year this one all that breeze this one also has a poetic approach and it's not that that all my favorite films are poetic. <laughs> that's not that's not how I judge a film. Um, but it just happens that in both cases that there's a, a poetic approach that enables us to to see more and more and enables the film. And the filmmaker is skilled in each case in creating different layers through a more meditative kind of approach. And the, the way that they sort of shift our perspective from one thing to the next you know the way that they use the elements of, of cinema to shape our experience to see things in a certain way so this film is about two brothers Saud and Nadim and uh, they live in a working class predominantly Muslim neighborhood in New Delhi and what's happening in New Delhi at the time of the film is that there, there's a lot of religious uh, conflict and intolerance happening by the majority that's not Muslim saying, you know, we cannot accept the Muslim, the Muslim religion. Um, so a lot of unrest starts to happen around them. But that that is in the background mostly. And it comes it sort of permeates the, the if you call it a narrative, sort of the main through line of the film in interesting ways because these two gentlemen, what they have devoted their lives to is these birds called kites. And the kites sort of have this mystical property, this sort of, there's a spiritual connection that they have to this to these birds and that, that their elders sort of taught them about to these birds. And these birds are, they, they eat meat. And so people to, to sort of create a connection, a natural connection with these birds, they actually feed them. And what these gentlemen do is because of the pollution. And it's funny because I just heard yesterday that the pollutions and this for real, like I just heard yesterday on the news that the pollution levels in New Delhi are at scary levels, right? And so this is happening in the film as well that because of the pollution levels, the kites are actually falling from the sky. So you have this sort of scenario of birds falling from the sky and injuring themselves. And these gentlemen have learned how to fix them and repair them. And it's their struggle to sort of get funds and create a hospital type setting and sort of, so this film follows them for a number of years. And I love the interaction between them um, I love, like I said, the camera work sort of works to create a connection between things, which is crucial because all that breeze is, is something that their dying mother said to them. She said, you know, this principle that one should not differentiate between all that breeze. And I think that is really, I've used the word inspiring before, but I think that is such an inspiring uh, eye-opening sort of way of looking at things, especially 
in the midst of conflict, which, you know, the details of, their, of the conflict happening around them are different from the conflicts that we are experiencing, but we, we all get it. And it, it's an important reminder for all of us that we should all be sort of thinking about that, like when it comes to our interactions with people, with animals, with the environment, with everything, you know, should not differentiate between all that breathes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this film. Um, I don't know if I loved that as much as you did, but I, I did quite enjoy it. And I think what I really found captivating was not only just the nature of these men's works. I never thought of these type of birds, but it was fascinating to, to learn about them, but also how the environment and pollution and everything is, is even not just causing them to fall from the sky, but also changing their habits and changing a lot of the, the habits of, of animals. So for example, you know, there was a time where they would only eat like dead animals, but now they're, they'll eat dead humans. Like, you know, it's just the way how pollution changes an environment in ways that we don't normally think of. And I also loved a lot of the, I guess, poetic moments where you see shots of a pond right by, you know, a sidewalk that's filled with little insects, but the camera gives you such detail that you feel like this pond is this massive world where all these yes. insects are, are, are feeding um, yes. and different um, shots of like birds or another type of animals. Like it opens with a whole bunch of mice just scurrying and, and feeding. And, so, and like, so that stuff was, was really fascinating. I wish there was a little bit more about the conflict that these two men are, are living through because you hear a lot about like the protests that's going on, the anti-Muslim stuff that's occurring in, in India. But I wish we had a little bit more because you can clearly see it's weighing on them. And it's it, it's partly causing some of the arguments that these two men are having, like a lot of their arguments over funding and who's doing what work. But a lot of it kind of stems from what's going on in the outside world. And I wish we had a little bit more insight into to that um, than we did. But overall, I was I was quite impressed with this film. Yeah, it was something that I was, I did not know what to expect and I, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, so I, this is one to look out for mm -hmm. uh, if you miss it. I mean, all these films that we've been talking about, if you happen to miss them, a real Asian, I mean, it just goes to show you the, the quality of um, the programming at Real Asian, like these, you know, internationally and nationally renowned uh, pieces of art that that we we get a chance to see and they're 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 here in Toronto. Yes, um, I, you know, jumping off of that, I'm actually going to talk about uh, another award-winning film that's been pretty big on the the festival circuit, um, and want to, to try and see it really, but also just keep an eye out for because I'm sure it'll probably get released. Uh, it's a film called Bad Axe. And it is from director David Sieve. Um, I hope we yeah, pronounce his last name correctly, but it's his debut um, documentary feature. And it basically is set at his family's home and family restaurant in Bad Axe, Michigan. So this rural town of, of Bad Axe. He's a filmmaker from New York who goes home just as the pandemic is starting to, as the lockdowns are starting to occur. So from March, 2020, pretty much up until 2021, you see him filming his family as they are struggling to keep their family restaurant alive. And you have to understand that this is a, a community where 
it's it's a really small town. There's two traffic lights and a Walmart. He says essentially those are like the big things, you know. And they got this this family restaurant. So as the film starts, you see them dealing with how are you gonna pay your bills when you have you can't have customers coming in. You're seeing them trying to shift to takeout to to delivery. All of that's occurring, but also it's they're also as an Asian family. Asian American family, um, multicultural family, dealing with this virus that everyone's afraid of, trying to figure out what the the rules are. Government's telling you you're supposed to wear masks, all of that. But then you're also getting reports of Asian Americans being attacked. And you're starting to hear about a whole bunch of people dying from COVID. And then on top of all that, you have George Floyd getting murdered. And for the first time ever in this small town, they decide they're going to have a Black Lives Matter rally. And this family decides they're going to partake, knowing full well that it could jeopardize the business. So you have all of this going on. And it's a really fascinating film. You know, I know a lot of people are kind of leery of pandemic movies because you've, you've lived through it. But well, this one offers a really unique insight for not just a, a family perspective, but also a small business perspective. And I think it is quite fascinating. And on top of all of this stuff that they're dealing with, you also realize that the director's father, who you know started this restaurant with his wife, but the, the father is from Cambodia, you know, and he lived through the killing fields. So he's got all of that history and baggage, which also kind of plays into how he interacts with the family as well, and how he views America and the land of possibilities but also being Cambodian, his wife is Mexican-American. They also kind of know there's limitations to what they can and can't do in America. So it's a really fascinating look at um, the COVID-19 pandemic, its impact on small businesses, and then also just how America in general has a way of always reminding you that you can be the other, even if you've contributed greatly to, to society. So I highly recommend Bad Axe. I think it's one people should see and i believe it won the a couple of awards by south by southwest festival i think like the wow. audience, audience award yeah. and, and another one a special jury prize so highly recommend wow. that. i'll have to look out for that one that sounds mm-hmm. amazing do you want to talk about um the film beyond extinction yes cynics resurgence so Beyond Extinction is Ali Kazemi's latest film and he is an award-winning acclaimed director uh, from Canada, he's who lives in Canada. Uh, he's a local filmmaker. So this is also the amazing thing about Real Asian is you know we get to to find out what our our filmmakers are up to now, uh, and and join together to celebrate their accomplishments. And so Beyond Extinction is a documentary that he's been trying to make for uh, many, many years about the Sinaixed people who is a a tribe of indigenous people who were a long time ago declared extinct. And it has a lot to do with geography and that the way that colonial powers divided up Canada and the US, sort of like treaties that they signed which went straight through the land. And because of that, the two governments, especially Canada, 
this is awful. This is just awful in terms of what happened to these poor people. So because of that, long story short, it's much more detailed. You've got to like see in the film. Um, He does a, a really good job of explaining everything because of the division of, you know, Canada and the United States, Canada sort of didn't know, really know what to do with that land and that there were other groups of indigenous groups around. And so they just sort of said, well, there, there aren't really that many Sinaix people right now. So they just ended up calling them extinct. They just decided they were extinct. Also because of disease and stuff. So like we're going back decades and decades and decades to um, the beginnings of colonialization. Uh, so Kazumi, he does a, a really great job of starting with the basics of indigenous history and colonization and its effect on indigenous people in general. And then he sort of zeroes in on the particular experience of the Sinaiq people. And what he's been doing is over the past few years, he has been in contact with certain people in the community and filming and documenting. And so the film ends up being um, a mix of a lot of archival footage and footage that he has taken over the years. So it's older footage of his with newer footage. And uh, there's some talking heads and there's informative stuff. And, and so on, and on top of that, and I'm not saying this in a, you know, in a cumbersome, like that it's cumbersome. I'm just saying like he manages to weave all this together. He also uses a perspective of the personal documentary. He is talking about his experiences filming and his process of getting to know the people and his process of trying to help because what ends up happening is that because the because the Sinaiq's people were declared extinct and yet the people sort of belong according to the way that it's been decided now they sort of belong to sort of both sides of the border so there's a man from the United States side of the border who is a Sinaiq's person. They're, they have been fighting this, this extinct sort of label for a long, long time. And so he comes to Canada because that's his traditional hunting and gathering grounds and stays for a few years uh, because to him, it's like, well, this is, this is what we do. This is what my ancestors have done. So in, long story short, the government decides, well, we're going to like arrest him and we're going to deport him. And so also the film becomes about this sort of question of how can they be extinct when these people exist? And how can you deport someone when technically it's his land? Yeah, so there's, there is a lot that uh, Ali is weaving together. On top of that, his experience which is a man from India who's an immigrant. So it's his, his experience as an Indian immigrant as well, trying to deal with his own bureaucracies and also trying to help them with theirs. And there is, a, there is an interesting joke that, that everybody keeps bringing up, which is because Ali gets his friend, the lawyer, to come and help. And so 
people from the Sinaiics tribe are, you know, joking around and say, oh, we've got, a, we've got real Indians to help us Indians. And sort of that's like the running gag that's, that's going on. But of course, you know, there's a, a lot more going on. That's just it's sort of like a playful thing that's happening that, that shows you like there's a deep bond that develops. And it can only happen when you film people for that many years, you know, that can happen. So there's like insights you can get only through that process of filming for years, which um, makes Beyond Extinction really interesting. Oh, that sounds like, it sounds like there was a lot going on in that film, but there is it, a it, lot. It all, it all manages. That's interesting. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. So there it is. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep with the um, theme of, of Canada, and I'm going to talk about the, the Grizzly Truth. Um, it's the latest film by Kathleen, a.k.a. Kat Jamie. Um, some people might remember Jamie's previous film, Finding Big Country from 2018, where she went in search of Bryant Reeves, a.k.a. Big Country. He was um, one of the star players for the Vancouver Grizzlies basketball team. Well, Jamie's back again with another film about basketball and her beloved Vancouver Grizzlies because she's a, a super fan. But this one looks at what happened to the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies came into the NBA with the Raptors in 1995. But by 2001, the team had moved to Memphis where they're still thriving to this day. So this, this whole, the Grizzly truth is all about trying to figure out what was the reason why the Grizzlies left Vancouver? Was it poor management? Was it financial? Was it the fans not showing up? Um, and it, it kind of really takes you through that whole process. And it, it's quite fascinating. I think it's a a huge improvement um, on her previous film, Big, uh, Finding Big Country, which I enjoyed, but you can really see her, her growth as a, as a storyteller here. Like the way how she puts this film together. In both films, she kind of centers herself in it. You know, you, you see her going on this quest, talking to like um, group therapy with other super fans, trying to figure out, she's tracking them, a lot of the, the former players, but she does it in a way that you never feel like she's overshadowing the, the story. And just from a visual standpoint, narrative standpoint, it's, it's just a really fascinating film. And she, and she gets some really great interviews, um, including one with Steve Francis, who was a superstar player in the NBA and caused a lot of controversy when he was drafted by the Grizzlies, but refused to play for them. Um, and a lot of people consider that as one of like the death nails in the coffin for, for the franchise, because if he didn't want to come being drafted, no one else is going to want to come to Vancouver. And for the first time, you actually get to hear Francis's side of the story and understand why he kind of was acting the way he did. And there's a lot of really interesting discussion. So if you think you kind of know everything there is to know about the Vancouver Grizzlies and their demise, it actually forces you to look at things a different way. And it also makes you look at sports in general and how we as, as fans of it up, approach it. Because as, you know, as we all know, the Raptors succeeded. The Raptors won a, a championship a few years ago. But would the Raptors have been as successful if they didn't luck out and draft Vince Carter? You know, if they didn't have that, because Carter, he trying to change the trajectory in Toronto and how it's viewed 
you know, how could the draft picks in Vancouver have changed things? Could management have changed? There's always the what ifs, but it also forces you to, to question about how we look at athletes as commodities. If they're a part of the team that you love, they're your player, they're your team. You know, the team owns you. You should be doing X, Y, and Z for the team, you know, almost treating them like cattle. So it's a really, it, this film tackles a whole bunch of different layers, but every strand is connected nicely to the overall theme. And then you also have Kathy Jane putting in her own personal story into it and why she's such a super fan and how it connects to like her Filipino heritage, you know, the sport of basketball and whatnot. So through all of this, she, she crafts a really fascinating film um, that I, I highly recommend. I believe, I believe it's also partly funded by Crave. So hopefully if you miss it at Real Asian, hopefully you'll be able to, to see it in theaters or on Crave at some point. But um, The Grizzly Truth is, is definitely worth seeing. That's, that sounds great. Yeah, fantastic. That's a, a great happy note to end on. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. Um, there's there's a lot of films playing at this festival. We only, you know, just crack the surface of, of what to see. So, again, as you said, it was it's the festival is running from November 9th to, I believe, the 20th, you said. So that's right. There's, there's a lot to see. Yes. Yeah, so check everybody check realasian.com. All right. So that's it for Frameline for this week. For Courtney Small, I'm Barbara Gosowski. Thank you for listening.